The name Fanny Crosby is probably familiar to many of you. That's because in her 94 years of life on this earth, she composed more than 8,000 hymns and gospel songs, some of which have become the most cherished in all the English-speaking world. Hymns like To God Be the Glory and Blessed Assurance and Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior, that we just sang a moment ago. Now, the sheer volume of what God produced through this woman is impressive all by itself. But when you learn something of Fanny Crosby's story, then she goes from being merely impressive to downright awe-inspiring. That's because Mrs. Crosby was born blind. And you add to this hardship the fact that her father died when she was only six months old. One might well expect to find within a person like Fanny Crosby a kind of smoldering resentment about the life that she had been handed and the God who handed it to her. But nothing could be further from the truth. Late in her life, Fanny Crosby wrote this. It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life, and I thank him for the dispensation. If perfect earthly sight were offered to me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I verily believe it was his intention that I should live my days in physical darkness so as to better be prepared to sing his praises and to incite others so to do. Wow. The clarity of Fanny Crosby's spiritual vision is astounding. And I, for one, count myself privileged every time she draws near through her music to lead us out of our spiritual blindness and into the light of God's glory. But Fanny Crosby is not the first blind person to be blessed with spiritual vision. We meet another such person who, though physically blind, is able to see the heart of God with impressive clarity. We meet old blind Bartimaeus when our Lord Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem. And if we will allow this blind man to lead us, then he can help us to see God more clearly as well. Now, being that Jesus was on the road to Jerusalem, that should tell us something. It tells us that that it's mere days before the crucifixion. And on this final stretch to the cross, Jesus is trying to help his followers to understand what is about to take place. And what it will mean when he is arrested and put on trial. But the disciples, oh, the poor disciples, they are spiritually blind. They cannot understand what their master is trying to tell them. Just before they reach the final stretch of their journey up into Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples, they stop off of the main road into this little town of Jericho. Jericho is just about the last stop for pilgrims before they make their way up into Jerusalem for the Passover. Now, this is not the same Jericho that Joshua and his men marched around in Old Testament times. No, this is a new Jericho. And Mark doesn't care to tell us how much time that Jesus and his disciples spent in this new Jericho. They go into Jericho and they come out of Jericho. And it's on the way out of town that we meet old blind Bartimaeus begging on the side of the road. 
As Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The first spiritual truth that blind Bartimaeus can show us is the truth about ourselves. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. See, Bartimaeus has no illusions about his utter need, about his dependence upon God. Bartimaeus can't heal himself. He can't give himself sight. His only hope of seeing is by the grace and mercy of God. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. There's a story that's told about one of my heroes, the Reverend John Stott. John Stott, who went to be home with the Lord back in 2011, was an Anglican priest and scholar. In addition to pastoring a church, Stott wrote many books, articles, and commentaries, and it was his custom to bring on a research assistant to help him in these endeavors. One of those assistants, Cody Widmer, gave this interesting account of his time with Stott. Every morning at 11 a.m. sharp, Cody would bring to John Stott a piping hot cup of coffee. Invariably, he'd find John Stott hunched over some letter or manuscript, completely focused on the work that was before him. Cody would quietly walk in, set the cup and saucer down adjacent to Stott's right hand. Oftentimes, John, or Uncle John as they like to call him, would mumble a barely audible word of thanks. I'm not worthy. Now, initially, Cody thought that this comment was kind of amusing. But after a few months, he began to find it a little bit bothersome. As he put it, how could someone pronounce himself unworthy of an acidic cup of instant coffee? One morning, Cody was feeling a little bit cheeky, and so when John Stott mumbled his usual expression, I'm not worthy, Cody quipped back, oh, sure you are, Uncle John. John stopped. And Cody wrote this. Uncle John stopped, and I saw the powerful magnetic look of his concentration ease from the papers that were before him. He slowly raised his gaze and with a look of immense seriousness, yet boyish playfulness, he responded, you haven't got your theology of grace right. I laughed and grinned awkwardly and said, oh, it's only a cup of coffee, Uncle John. As I turned round and headed back into the kitchen, I heard him mutter, it's just the thin end of the wedge. A wedge is a deceptively powerful instrument. With a single metal wedge, even a weakling like me can spit, split a massive log if only I can find a crack to set it in. Friends, everything we have, all of it, is a gift of grace from God. But if the devil can find in us one small crack where we think that we are entitled to the things of this life, that we've earned them somehow, that God owes us one and that we deserve them, 
And that's all that the devil needs, just one small crack in our understanding of grace where he can set his wedge and drive it between us and God. Bartimaeus does not have the luxury of thinking that God owes him one. No, he comes as a beggar. He places his faith in God, showing us the way in the process. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Every time we come forward for Holy Communion, we are invited to make an outward invisible sign of what blind Bartimaeus is showing us here as we place our hands out and open to receive the bread. We receive it. We don't take it. And likewise, I want to encourage you all when you pray to begin your prayers with this simple acknowledgement. Lord Jesus, grant me the grace to see my utter dependence upon you and fill me with a wonder at how you have provided. So the first thing blind Bartimaeus shows us is the truth about ourselves. We come to God as blind beggars. Well, as soon as Bartimaeus has cried out, those around him begin to shout him down. They rebuke Bartimaeus and tell him to be silent. But thanks be to God, Bartimaeus is blind to the approval of the crowd. No, his heart only has eyes for the Lord, and he cries out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And this is the second spiritual lesson that Bartimaeus is showing us. Perseverance in the face of the world's opposition. Friends, this world will conspire against your reaching out to God. Sometimes this opposition will be external, like unbelieving friends or coworkers or family members who will subtly dissuade or distract us from reaching out to the Lord and following after Him. It's like the spouse who says, do we really need to go to church tomorrow? Sometimes this opposition can be blatant. For all this world's talk of of tolerance, perhaps some of you have been the recipient of an underhanded comment or an outright derision for your obedience to Jesus Christ. But this opposition, it can also come from within. For the younger generation, it's the draw of the cell phone with its endless supply of distractions as we scroll through whatever's on the screen. For an older generation, it's the undeniable draw of the 24-hour news channel with its never-ending ticker tape of hysteria scrolling down there at the bottom of the screen while the newscaster does his level best to keep us glued to the vision of the TV. All these forces, both external and internal, they will conspire against our reaching out to God. They will have the same effect as that crowd who tried to dissuade Bartimaeus. But Bartimaeus had set his eyes, the eyes of his heart upon Jesus, and he's showing us that we would do well to follow his lead. To blind ourselves to the forces that would dissuade us as we set our gaze, the gaze of our hearts, on Jesus. Well, sure enough, God, who is always faithful, cries out to Bartimaeus. And we begin to see how the clarity of Bartimaeus' faith And Jesus' faithfulness in responding, it begins to open the eyes of those who are there in the crowd around him. And they begin to change their tune. From dissuading him and pushing him away, they they begin to say, uh, take heart, Bartimaeus. Get up. The master's calling you. Be of good cheer. 
And in this moment, Bartimaeus is like a golden retriever who can see in the hand of his master a tennis ball. You know the look on the face of a golden retriever when his master has a tennis ball? He's looking for his master's voice, listening for it. Every muscle in his body is tensed up like that that dog who's just waiting for his master to make a move. So when Jesus calls out to Bartimaeus, he springs up from his mat, casting his cloak aside, lest it hinder him, and he follows the sound of his master's voice to draw close to Jesus. What would it be like to have our hearts so tuned to the voice of the master that we would be ready for his call? Whether that call be something big and life-changing or something ordinary and small, like go speak to that person. Well, as I said, blind Bartimaeus is like a golden retriever. But the truth is, the regular disposition of the human heart rarely starts out like a golden retriever. I'm sure you all have heard the old joke about the difference between cats and dogs. The dog looks up at his master and he says, my master feeds me, he loves me, he takes care of me, my master must be God. The cat, on the other hand, looks up at his master and says, my master feeds me, he takes care of me, he loves me, I must be God. And the truth is, the human heart is a lot more like a cat than a dog when it comes to our disposition to God. So given that that is the case, how can we cooperate with God's Spirit and convert our cat-like hearts to golden retriever hearts that are focused on God? Friends, I'll give you a practical piece of advice. All of us here today have cravings. All of us do. Hello, my name is Andrew, and I'm a caffeine addict. First thing I crave in the morning is a cup of coffee. And I've learned by the grace of God that I can move my heart to be a little less cat-like and a little more golden retriever-like by doing the following. I don't allow one drip of coffee to pass into my mouth until my Bible is open before me. And I've prayed to God, Lord Jesus, grant me the grace to see my utter dependence upon you. Please speak. Your servant is listening. Now for you, maybe... Maybe your craving of your heart's desire um, is to pick up your cell phone first thing in the morning. Maybe it's to turn on the the 24-hour news channel. Maybe it's to read the newspaper. I don't know what it is. But the point is, use the desires of your hearts as a means to allow Holy Spirit to refashion it. To be less like a cat and more like a golden retriever who's tuned to his master's voice. Listening for it. Ready for it. Well, Bartimaeus is now in close proximity to his master, so close perhaps that he can hear Jesus inhale as he prepares to ask Bartimaeus this piercing question. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Now, every owner of a golden retriever knows exactly what the golden retriever wants. He wants you to throw the ball. 
But in the retriever's excitement and his lack of focus, sometimes you, you can throw the ball and the retriever doesn't see where it's gone because he's just so wound up. Have you ever had that happen? Jesus knows what Bartimaeus wants. But he draws him in. He brings the full focus of Bartimaeus' heart toward himself. And he gives Bartimaeus the opportunity to express with his lips the faith that is in his heart. Rabbi, I want to see. Friends, this question that Jesus poses to Bartimaeus is a question which your Father in heaven would have you hear and answer every day. What would you have me do for you? It's the essence of the collect we prayed two weeks ago. One of my favorite collects in the Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and everlasting God, who art always more ready to hear than we to pray. And art want to give more than either we desire or deserve. Pour down upon us the abundance of thy mercy, forgiving us those things whereof our conscience is afraid, and giving us those good things which we are not worthy to ask, but through the merits and mediation of thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. What do you want me to do for you? Friends, the Father is inviting you to draw close to him each and every day so that you can hear him asking you that question. Now, it might be that your initial response is, well, my problems and concerns are too small for God to worry about. And if that's what your heart is saying right now, I want to press you to consider two things. First, while it's true that by some earthly standard, your problems may well be less pressing or seem less pressing than the problems of other people in the world. But I've got news for you. All human problems are small to God. And secondly, I just ask the question, could it be that when your heart says, my problems are too small to bother God with, could it be that this is just your heart's way of keeping God at arm's length rather than drawing close to him as blind Bartimaeus did? The Father is calling on you to answer this question daily and to be attentive and see what your prayers begin to set in motion, both in the world around you, but also in your own heart. And we can be sure that however God answers these prayers, be it with a yes or no or a wait, we can be confident that his answer is always for our greatest good. One of the most poignant conversations I've ever had in pastoral ministry was a conversation I had with a mother of an adult daughter. I can't remember the context or why it was that she was telling me this, but she said the following to me. She said, you know, I realize now that I completely spoiled my daughter. Now, I was young enough in my ministry that I didn't have enough sense to keep my mouth shut. And I felt uncomfortable with what she was saying, as you can understand. So I gave some boneheaded dismissive response, like, oh, I'm sure you didn't spoil your daughter. But then she began to tell me some stories, and I began to understand what she meant. And the pain of her regret, it was palpable. Now, of course, every human parent fails. There is no perfect parent on earth. 
But we have a perfect Father in heaven. A Father who loves us too much to spoil us. So yes, He is inviting all of us to hear Him asking this question each and every day. What do you want me to do for you? But not so that He can spoil us. No, He asks us this question to draw us in so that we might place our cares before Him. And then watch and see what our prayers begin to set in motion and to trust that however the Father responds, He will give or withhold for our ultimate good. Indeed, on this day, Jesus gives Bartimaeus his sight. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. But there's a bittersweet ending to the scene. Because immediately Bartimaeus recovered his sight. Hallelujah. And he followed Jesus on the way. That is, Bartimaeus follows Jesus up into Jerusalem where he will behold with his newfound physical eyesight the greatest event in human history, an event of great agony and pain, an event of great glory and victory. Bartimaeus will look on as his Lord is arrested, tried, and crucified for the sins of the world. So we need to understand this. That God, in His mercy, will give us whatever it takes to open our eyes so that we can see more clearly who He is and what He has done for us and what it means to follow Him. That's what begins to happen when you allow the Father to put that question to you. What would you have me do for you? Well, on one occasion, a well-meaning preacher said the following to Fanny Crosby. I think it is a great pity that the Master did not give you sight when He showered so many other gifts upon you. Here's what Fanny Crosby said in response. Do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, it would have been that I was born blind? Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be the face my Savior. Isn't it strange that so often it's the blind who see the heart of God most clearly? May God grant us the grace to follow where the likes of Fanny Crosby and blind Bartimaeus would lead us to see ourselves as blind beggars who have been blessed by a merciful God. Blind beggars who are attuned to his call and poised to respond as he puts his question to us. What would you have me do for you today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today with the hands of our hearts turned up, waiting and expected to receive from you all that you would give us And we ask, Lord Jesus, that by your Spirit, you would indeed tune our hearts to hear your voice. That we might focus the eyes of our heart and our lives on you. So that when you call, we will be ready to respond. For we ask these things in your precious and powerful name. Amen.